but some of you don't and you wonder who I am. I'm simply just a God-breathed figure of dirt treading this world better than I deserve because his grace is great. I cannot boast in anything, no power, no wealth, no riches, no wisdom. I don't have a lot of fancy things to share with you today. I hope, though, that it is a blessing to you. I'm here because Revelation chapter 12, which was amazing that Tammy read from Revelation today. Revelation 12, 11 says that God's people overcome the evil one by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I want to share with you a little bit of our story. This is my story. This is my song. Washed by his blood was one of the lines. I want to ask you, if your blood's not doing good, are you doing good? I don't see any heads moving or any sound. Did I lose you all already? <laughs> if your blood's not doing good, are you doing good? No. <laughs> Do you need your blood to be alive? Yes. So the basic function of your blood is that it needs to be healthy in order for you to be healthy. Your blood gives you life. And we teach our boys and girls at Good News Club because some of the jargon of washed by the blood, I don't know what that means, and that sounds scary or gross. <laughs> some kids might find it very interesting. But it's incredible to realize that what his blood has done for him. See, we need our blood to be alive. The life that Jesus' blood gave his body, just like we each have, was a perfect, sinless life. It sounds really awkward and paradoxical that I would stand before you and tell you I boast in my failing, failures and shortcomings. Not because I just want to put myself down or for, so you can look at me and be like, what's this goofball talking about? But I boast in my failures and shortcomings because it, it lifts Christ up. It shows that, as John Newton said, the writer of Amazing Grace, two things I know. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. My blood fails. I failed some of you here on some occasion or another. My wife and my children would know that. And I can't promise not to ever fail anyone again as much as I may try not to. But there is one who has come on our behalf, even on my behalf. My blood fails. His has not and will not. We overcome the, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood of the lamb is the gospel and the word of our testimony is simply a little bit of our story of what God has done, is doing, and will do. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would bless the remainder of this time today. Father, that our brothers and sisters here, those who know you or those who maybe have drifted from knowing you, God, that you would meet them where they are. Lord, that you would use my humble frame, which maybe at times is not humble enough, God, I am sorry, for I know that there are many graces that you've extended to us that we don't even think of as grace because they somehow become mundane to us. And we take them for granted. 
shoes on our feet, clothes on our backs, food and water, a roof over our heads, friends and family. And above all, your word and your spirit that you would be with us. Thank you, God. I pray that your mercy would today triumph over judgment and condemnation. Bless what is shared today for your glory and the good of your people. Would you be glorified, your people edified, and the enemy petrified? In Jesus' name, amen. Beginning at the end of the summer of 2019 and through the first quarter of 2020, Hannah and I, well, more her than I, she endured her most difficult pregnancy yet with our fifth child. It took us five children, by the way, to figure out what was causing it. <laughs> most difficult pregnancy, and I'm sure you can imagine that that made the minutia of marriage and day-to-day life uh, rather um, sanctifying, uh, or uh, maybe what others might call character refining. <laughs> over a year ago, I also, now a good bit over a year ago now, I faced a health scare, um, which has haunted me for months. Our son, Andrew, uh, was born at home. He's now just over a year old. And a fun fact about Andrew is he spent nearly half his life under the water. Think about that. Maybe some of you are catching up. But For about 10 months, he spent in the womb. So if you've never met anyone who's spent more than half their life underwater, welcome to our son Andrew. He uh, spent half his life underwater before he was born. Most of us had. Um, he was born, though, last year in April, which makes him a coronial. He was born during the corona uh, pandemic. And it was during a time that was being declared as a spreading and deadly pandemic. You see, in a short time, our work with CEF and the ministries and our schools and everything was turned upside down. And the day-to-day became very, very difficult and troubling. All summer long, it felt like the rug was being torn out from under us. And I don't know if you've ever had anything ripped out from under you or your legs go out from under you, but it hurts. And you could totally lose your bearings. And uh, I can tell you from a number of times I've been down and it hurts. And it really felt like metaphorically in life and in our work, the rug was being torn out from under us. It was very painful. Not to mention, we had a newborn at the time, and I was frequently dreading whatever it was that was going on with my own health. And in the world, also was experiencing its own pandemic and health scare. In July, I nearly cut off my thumb, uh, but fortunately it's still here and works, so I'm very thankful for that. I joined the uh, table stall statistic crew, and, uh, but it's there and uh, very much well. Uh, and so on top of that, our country and our people were all in lockdown, nearly the entire world was, and we were being fed by the media and activists, everything that was polarizing, galvanizing, and even radicalizing at times. There were fires in the cities and fires in the woodlands out west and around the country. Six people in my own life who were very close to me, very dear to me, passed away suddenly last year. And none actually to COVID, I have to say, because we just kind of assumed that, but 
None of them actually uh, passed because of COVID, but it was difficult and painful nonetheless and unexpected. One of them, I, some of you may know, I lived in Australia for a year. I served in, and worked with Hillsong um, for about a year, and this was a number of years ago. And while I was there, a young man I took under my wing and my, my flatmates in Australia would refer to, me, refer to him as my, my Chinese son. He was from China, from Hong Kong. And uh, his name was, his, his, well, his Chinese name was Kissing Feng. You can imagine the fun we had with that name. Kissing Feng, like, ha-ha, you know, I'm kissing. Kissing Feng was the name, but his English name was Andy Feng, and he definitely preferred to go by Andy um, in the English-speaking areas of Australia, except for when he was with his Chinese family. But his family was not very friendly to the Christian faith. And he desired to come to church. And so Andy and I got to know each other because he needed a place to stay if he was going to go to church. His dad said, if you want to go to church, you can't live with me anymore. So his dad effectively kicked him out. And Andy was willing to go basically homeless just so he could continue to learn about the faith that we often take for very granted and that we hold dearly, though. Andy, um, last year, passed away of a brain tumor. And it was very hard for me because for the past decade, I still considered him to have been my Chinese son. He was only a few years younger than me, but he died in his late 20s. He had recently married, had two children, Chloe and Christopher. And uh, that was really hard. And several others passed away. All of this is mounting on me and my wife and my family, even as, as a country we're facing campaign and election turmoil and upheaval. It was right about this point in early November that our two daughters, do we have any photos that I could share with you of my girls? Um, my two daughters were struck by a vehicle in excess of 40 miles an hour and nearly killed. Uh, some of you, I, I believe, praying for us, and I can't tell you how much that means. You see, the scriptures say that the things of this life and the things of this world will be shaken. What can be shaken will be shaken. And when those things are shaken, what may not be shaken will remain. When those things are shaken, you're hurting, and it turns you inside out. What you love most dearly and is so precious to you, and you've invested your life into, is taken from you. In that moment, I was completely undone. There's, there's our two girls there. Do we have any pictures of them uh, from Hershey or when they were flown out? Yeah, that's Ruth. That's my, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's actually really hard for me to see. Um, they were flown out by helicopter to Hershey, and um, that's actually from the helicopter uh, looking down. Both of them were flown and were not expected to survive. One of the doctors who was closing the head of one of my daughters said to me in a one-week follow-up, he's one of the surgeons from Hershey, he said to us, Mr. and Mrs. Davis, so you know the whole story of what happened. This is nothing short of the grace of God. 
veteran first responders said to us afterwards that they didn't think one or even both of them would be coming home. The subject of my message today is sourcing strength in a weak and weary world. I, I, I feel I suffer incredulity. I, who am I to be standing here sharing with you how we source strength in a weak and weary world? Because I confess to you, church, that I have not attained it and I've not arrived. And I'm not particularly looking to solicit sympathy or woe is me. But to be quite honest, this message has been as much for our own journey as it is that we might share with others because I know it's been hard for many of us. And I know that many of you are praying for us. I know that a number of you have invested into our lives and even this ministry. And we've considered Bethel, our church, over the years. I stand before you today because of one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and it's Romans 4.17. A church, we're a church, and we're, we're the body of Christ. The Greek word, ekklesia. And Jesus defines church as his body, his people. I, wanna, I, want, I want you to participate with me today. So if you can wake up enough to maybe jot down some verses as I mention them, and look over them this week, and pray over them. I want you to follow along with me. But see, if we were the body of Christ, like any body, You'd suffer atrophy. We don't want to be couch potatoes because that's not good for our bodies. We don't want to be pew potatoes either. So I want you to be alive and move along with me. It, 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 it's not a time to, to, to just get comfortable. I don't want you to be irritated either with me, but I want you to, to participate. Jot down Romans 4.17. You'll want to look at it later. I stand before you today because Romans 4.17 in it, it says that we worship the God who gives life to the dead and calls that which is not as though it were. We worship the God who gives life to the dead and calls that which is not as though it were. That's profound. And if that's true, that's life-changing. Literally life-changing from death to life. It's a big deal. And I believe it's at least in part why we gather here today. That verse you may see, it starts out about talking about Abraham and Sarah. See, Abraham, God is saying, I called you the father of many nations. It's amazing because he's calling Abraham, who at the time had no children and was old. If you were younger and you have grandparents who are alive, think of your grandparents having more children right now. If you were older... And I won't set any benchmarks for age, but if you're older, imagine having children if you're well past childbearing years. What on earth? But God said to Abraham, I call you the father of many nations. The, the man who has no children, no grandchildren, is going to be the father of many nations? Yes, our God is the God who gives life to the dead and calls that which is not as though it were. I'm talking to you today about sourcing strength in a weak and weary world because by faith. I use this expression because maybe some of you have heard of or are familiar with Hebrews chapter 11. It talks about how uh, we, we refer to it as the hall of faith. It lists a number of people who God worked through and 
amazing ways. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, he went out from his own people. By faith, by faith. By, and you know what's amazing? He even mentions by faith, Rahab. Do you know who Rahab was? She lived a very questionable life, even by today's standards. A very questionable life. She worked the back alley. She had a very um, interesting lifestyle. And yet, she is listed as one who had faith. God wanted us to remember her. Not because of her questionable lifestyle, but because of his redemptive power, his grace. She is listed in the genealogy of Jesus, our Savior. People flippantly ask, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The Savior of the world has. By faith, I want to share with you how we can weave this message of sourcing strength in a weak and weary world into our own lives. There are many passages we could reference today, but I want us to jot down and camp on three particular passages, though I'll look at some others. I want you to write down 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 6, and then Romans 8, 6, and 2 Chronicles 16, 9. 1 Samuel 30, 1 through 6, Romans 8, 6, and 2 Chronicles 16, 9. I'll give you the context before we read the passage of 1 Samuel chapter 31 through 6. The context is, how many of y'all have heard of David, King David? Come on. If your shoulders ain't broke, please put your arm out. There we go. Wake up. Wave him. There we go. All right. If you haven't heard of David, pat your neighbor's head. No, don't, don't pat your neighbor's head. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you see, David was, David was a king of Israel, but before he became king and became remembered as the one who wrote the biggest and one of the most celebrated passages of all the Bible, the Psalms, many of the Psalms at least, David and his men ended up being outcast. By the way, this came after he was anointed by Samuel, the prophet of Israel, that he would become king. After he's anointed and set apart by God, David and his men become dejected outcasts. If you're questioning me, read the chapters preceding chapter 30. Five or six chapters leading up to chapter 30. It's an amazing and very intriguing story. It'll take some time to really wrap your head around all of its details, but I'll tell you it's incredible, and the more I've studied it, the more I've been amazed by God's sovereign goodness and grace and ability to work redemption out of our fallen misconceptions and how often I get it wrong and how often others have gotten it wrong. But there's one who always gets it right. We may not always understand what God is doing. You see, when I was in the hospital with my girls, I didn't understand it, folks. I didn't understand it at all. It hurt so bad. I was, I was completely turned inside out. My wife as well. 
I don't know if you've ever seen the, some of the amazing paintings of the Grand Masters. I think of some of the paintings even down in, in, in D.C. The, by John Trumbull, right? They're like 10 by 12 feet, huge paintings. And if you ever walk up to a huge painting and your face is this close to the canvas, your nose pressed up against it, and all you can see maybe sometimes are the smudgy, dark, swirling colors that are just yucky and cold and, and don't make any sense. Well, that's what life feels like sometimes. But when you step back, you start to see the bigger picture. You see, there's a grand master in heaven, and he's painting our story. And this picture, with even its dark, smudgy, awful blotches and, and strokes, actually pinpoint and, and highlight and, and make pop the overall redemptive story that he's telling. And it's amazing. But we don't often understand, and we can't see it clearly. But there's one who does understand. Brothers and sisters, my wife and I don't understand each other very often. And, and, and my children, my wife and I will sometimes look at each other and be like, I just don't understand them. And maybe you've said that about each other or others. I just don't understand this person. And, and, and if that's another finite fellow human being, that much more we, we may not really be able to fully comprehend the one who has comprehended it all. But it is enough to know that Christ knows all. David and his men were dejected, even by his own people. He left with a band of about 400 people. If you look around chapter 27 or so, do this in your homework. If you look around chapter 27, you'll see that David and his men, 400 of them, were <clears throat> suffering of... They're, they're an interesting band. They're, 400 of his men leave to go with David because they also feel like outcasts of Israel. They were a very interesting group. Many of them uh, were, were, were in debt. Many of them were... Um, uh, not seen as the desirable people of Israel. And they felt like they had no place, they didn't belong, uh, kind of like misfits. That's literally how the Bible kind of describes them. And, 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 and so they join up with David. David, life's tough, we don't get it. You seem like an interesting guy, and it seems that God is with you. I don't understand life, but we're going with you. So they go with David, and a couple, uh, couple hundred other people join with him. And, and so David is now being pursued by Saul, who's the current king. But see, Saul uh, had, had fallen away from God and was doing some very ungodly things. And David was anointed by Samuel to take Saul's place one day. David and his band of now 600 men, with their women and children, in an area, uh, went to an area called Ziklag. By the way, Ziklag is an annexed territory of Philistine. Do you guys remember that, that the Philistines were not in favor with God's people Israel? Right? Like David... In fact, there was a song that the people of Israel sang when David killed Goliath. There was a song, and, and the song went like this. I don't know the tune, but, but I'll tell you how it went. The song said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And those tens of thousands were inferring the, Phil were inferring the Philistines. The Philistine people had this area. The king was Akish. And Akish was the king of this area, and, 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 and it was, Ziklag was an area that was given to David and his men to go join up with. Because David and his men were no longer welcomed in Israel, and they're being pursued by the king of Israel. 
to be killed. And now they're living in this annexed territory called Ziklag, probably an area not much bigger or than Tawny Town, or uh, Littlestown here, either one. I want you to follow now, understanding a little bit of the context of the story. Verses 1 through 6. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now, why did they reach Ziklag on the third day? I'll tell you why. Because David and his men were proving themselves to the king, the Philistine king. And as they're, 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 they're trying to prove their, their faithfulness to the Philistines now, they said, we'll go to war with you, king, because the king is going to war against the Israelite people. So David and his men are now saying, I'm going to go to war with you, Akish, against my own people. Sounds really bizarre, but if you read all the context, it'll make sense some, what? David is now going with the king of the Philistines to fight against his own people. On his way there, David is confronted by the king. The king says, David, you have over these recent seasons proven yourself very faithful to me, but um, my, my guys here, my advisors are telling me that, uh, that there used to be this song about how Saul, the king that we're going to go fight against right now, killed his thousands, but apparently you had killed your tens of thousands. My advisors say I shouldn't trust you. I know you've proven yourself faithful. I believe you. You've been with us now for some time. You've been fighting a bunch of these other guys and have been bringing back lots of loot and goods and, and, and supplying us. You've been nothing but faithful to me. I think you're with us. But they, my advisors and military commanders are saying, you can't go with us. They don't trust you. David's saying, but what have I done wrong? The king says, David, no, you got to go home. That's why he's on a three-day journey back to Ziklag. Again, in Philistine territory. Verse 2. I'm sorry, let's finish verse 1. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They attacked Ziklag and burned it and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both the young and the old. Fortunately, they killed none of them, but carried them away as they went off. Folks, imagine going away and then coming back to your hometown finding not just your house burnt down to the ground, but your neighbor's house too, and your neighbor's neighbor's house. And you come home from battle on an important journey, and it's all gone. All gone. The hardware store, the grocery store, everything is burned down. Your fields, your stalls, everything, and it's looted. Already you're outcast of your own people. Already you've been pursued for your life, by your people. The band of people that are with you are an interesting crowd. Not the most desired people, but they're looking for something to hang their hope on to. So they're going with David. But now they just come back with David after being rejected by somebody they tried to befriend who was supposed to be a neutral enemy. And now they're back home with David. And let's pick up at verse three. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men, they wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. 
David's two wives have been captured. And when Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, Carmel. Verse 6. David was greatly distressed. Folks, brothers and sisters, they wept until they had no strength left to weep. Has it been a hard past year, year and a half? For many of us, it has been a very hard year. Very hard, very discouraging, very painful, even confusing. If you're like me, you may have wept until you had no strength left to weep. David was greatly distressed. It gets worse, guys. God's anointed. Becomes greatly distressed. Because now these guys, the only band he's got left, after everything has been stripped away in the worst way, are now talking of stoning him. Each one was so bitter, so bitter in spirit, because his sons and daughters had been taken. All they had left, all that they had left to go follow this guy, and then being rerouted, because that was a big mistake, not accepted, not wanted, go back home, and home is nowhere to be found. And now even those guys are so bitter. I want you to notice the very last sentence of verse 6. But David found strength in the Lord his God. But David found strength in the Lord his God. How do we do that? How do we source strength in a weak and weary world? The story goes on and it turns out that God actually does restore. I'll shorten it up here now for you because I know we're short on time. But God does restore to David his loved ones. And they even go and God leads them to bring back all that was lost. Did they have to grieve the pain? They did. Was it a very difficult and challenging time? It sure was. Were their lives on the line? Yes, they were. Were things lost? Yeah, things were lost. And yet God took care of them. He fulfilled his purpose for them. As it is for life, and us in this life, God will take care of us, and he'll restore to us, either in this life or the life to come what he sees fit and what is due because he is good and his love endures forever. He will provide for his sons and daughters. He has not failed to do so. As long as he wants us here and has a plan and purpose for us here, you will be here. If he wants you to walk on water, you will walk on water. If, if he wants you to feel conviction for sin, and to know the power of his love to save you and show you that though you have failed, he has not, and he will see to your success. 
he will see too that you are washed by his blood. That his life will get right whatever your life has gotten wrong. Then you will come to know this and find amazing grace there. If he, as in the case with our two girls, sees fit that you are pummeled and completely laid out, unconscious, wallowing in your blood, dying, struck by a vehicle in excess of 40 miles an hour, and yet wants you to live, you will live. I can't explain it. I've sat with physicists, other scientists, medical experts, and a number of them tell us there are some things that they simply can't explain, but God. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power or strength of his might. That passage talks to us about how we are to outfit ourselves with the armor. I want you to think about that, the armor, as part of your homework assignment this week, because we don't have time to unpack all of that. But think about the head and the heart. Not just the helmet of salvation, but what goes on under the helmet, your head, your thoughts. I want us to think about that for a moment. And that's our next passage. Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says, the mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Pray with me, church, that God would afford for you, that God would give you, that his, his spirit would overwhelm, his Holy Spirit would overwhelm the spirit of your mind, that it might be life and peace. It has been said that the longest journey in the world is from here to here, your head and your heart. There are a lot of things we know in life, but there aren't a lot of things we necessarily believe and act on. Years ago, I was, I, used to, I, I rode motorcycles and motorbikes all my life. And uh, years ago, I was in a motorcycle accident. Now, looking back, and even in that moment, I know that I should have been riding more carefully. I knew it. But my behavior was not necessarily acting as though I believed it. God did discipline me with some road rash. And I was wearing a helmet, by the way. But there are many things in life that we maybe know but don't necessarily believe. And that brings us to our next verse. Second Chronicles 16.9. Second Chronicles 16.9. The eyes of the Lord range to and fro the earth, seeking those whose hearts are fully committed to him because he strengthens such hearts. Now if you think about that, we're sourcing strength in a weak and weary world. Remember, brothers and sisters, pray with me, God. Would your Holy Spirit overwhelm the spirit of my mind? Because the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Our hearts, God, would you afford for me the grace to have a heart fully committed to you? Why fully committed to him? Because there's commitments we latch onto other things in life that will disappoint us. There are commitments we place in other areas of life into things, in the strength of our machines, 
and the invention of our minds or our hands, and they will surely fall us. Don't believe me? Ask the Titanic. And many other inventions of man. You want to get your life right? Well, how many of you remember the food pyramid? Given to us by, by the, the, the scientific experts of the day. Backed by even government endorsements. And yet now if you look at any health professional, we've totally uh, Rubik's cubed the whole food pyramid. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, trust not in man, trust not in riches, that your heart may be fully committed to the Lord. This is a message for me. It's not just me telling you all here. David, in a situation so terrible, so bad, so awful, so grievous, so bitter, found strength in the Lord. Renew our minds a steadfast heart. Pray to the Lord for these things. In closing, I want to share with you one last passage. You see, last year, this is amazing, last year, I was having a really hard day, really, really hard. In fact, I was at Ace here in Littlestown and just trying to pick myself up on the floor and just trying to get through the, the, the... the, the errands and the tasks of the day. It was so hard. As I mentioned to you, some of the things going on in our lives. And I go to Ace and I buy some things and I get home and now I'm trying to find my receipt. That night before, I'd had a really hard conversation with a good friend of ours and it led well into midnight. Really difficult conversation. It went like two hours long. And I got off the phone just shaking and barely able to sleep and just it was hard. I'm telling you this because when I get home and I'm trying to find my receipt, I'm scrambling my pockets and pull my wallet out. And I don't think I stuck it in there. I'm digging through my wallet. And I find in my wallet a little memory verse card that I didn't know was in there anymore. I put it in there last year, seven years ago. Now it'd be eight years ago. But on this card, I hadn't looked at it or seen it, or even knew that it was in there since seven years before. I find this card, I pull it out. <clears throat> and on it is this passage of scripture. Oh, wow. That's, that's interesting. Lord, I don't know what it means, but may it, may it give me faith and please you. Then, <clears throat> in about five minutes' time, that same friend who I had a very difficult conversation with the night before, he sends me a text message on my phone, and I look at my phone, it's the same exact verse. Okay, a coincidence maybe? I, I All right, Lord, are you trying to tell me something? I just kind of thought, well, that's interesting. I got this card in my hand that I hadn't seen in seven years, and I got this text message that came in about five minutes' time. I go, hey, Hannah, my wife, look at this. This is kind of interesting. You know, because Hannah knew I was going through a really hard time. I was really shaken and by a lot of things. And she's like, Come here. So I follow her. Oh, am I in trouble? Principal's office again. And so she she opens the door. I don't. Know if, are you all familiar with the chalkboard paint? Y'all have seen that chalkboard paint? Oh man. Our our house is like 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 a four walled chalkboard now. <laughs> we homeschool our our kids, and uh, and and so she pulls open the door, and 
<laughs> and on the back of the door that goes up to our attic is, you know, all chalkboard paint. And she had been spending time with the Lord that morning while I was about with all the cares of life. And she's like, I don't know why, Stephen, but I'd, I've been praying and morning devotions this, today and just reading through several passages of scripture. And for some reason, God kept bringing me back. I, she's like, I never memorized this verse. I never highlighted it before. I've never really paid much attention to it. But it just kept coming to me today. And so I thought I'd write it on the chalkboard today. And, and it was a verse that they discussed in homeschool and devotions. And it was the same verse. So now in a half hour's time, I've got this verse three times coming to me that I've never really paid much attention to, at least not in seven years that I knew of. Fast forward now about a month. So I'm praying, kind of stewing on this verse. <laughs> and my girls are hit. And I feel they're nearly taken from I, I, I don't know what to expect. I keep my certification with the Red Cross, and first aid, CPR, water rescue, AED, all that fun stuff. And we're taught primary assessment and secondary assessment when you come into the scene of an accident or something bad. And, and I see my girls. And in the road, it's still, you can go there now. If you come by our place, we'd show you. You can still see the, where the stain pools of blood, and I won't get into it because you'll see me fall apart up here, and I don't want to undo any of you. They're hit, and I'm just getting into the hospital. I'm in the trauma room at room unit, and you know my phone's going off, and I'm asking for prayer. That's all I can do, and I get a verse from uh, a widow friend of ours who lives down the street from us, and she says, Stephen, I can't move. All I know is two children have been hit, and then there's this verse scripture and I'm like I'm just falling apart <laughs> completely turned inside out I'm crying I can't breathe and I'm going to share that verse with you if we could share the picture of my girls with um, a lady named Gina some of you probably know and have seen or have met Gina Kelly Lada um Gina and her family had heard about our girls in the accident and they reached out to us because Gina was hit by a car when she was a young girl. I didn't know that. And it's become a big part of her story. You each, God has given you a story and he's still writing it if you're here today. Revelation 12, 11. Are you troubled by the enemy? David and his men were troubled by the enemy. Revelation 12, 11 says, we overcome by the, by the blood of the lamb. Are you washed by the blood? Your blood may not be doing very well. It may have led you into sin. It may have given you life to do things you ought not to have done. But there is one whose blood had always done the will of the Father. And it came in our place. And it is amazing grace. It is astounding. It is incomprehensible, but it's true. And part of Gina's story was to have been hit by a car and nearly killed a number of years ago. They call us out of the blue. Somehow they heard through the prayer chain going around to pray for us and our children. And so I get a call from her father, Gene, who has the Ford dealership up in Hanover. And he just says, Stephen, how can we be there for you? And he prays with us. And he gives us words of counsel. And then in short time, Gina had desired to meet with our girls and to share with her, we share with them her story, how the blood of the lamb 
has been powerful in her life and has now given her a story that has been and is overcoming the enemy. People who've been saved from their own sin and their own misfortunes and failures because of hearing about God's work in her life. She's praying about a way that she can connect with our two girls. She didn't tell us this. She comes to meet us one day, this day here. And she's praying. She had several passages of scripture that she wanted to give our girls in some permanent fashion. So she went to a jeweler in the Hanover area and said, would you inscribe into metal this passage of scripture? God really laid this one on my heart. I keep coming back to this. And uh, she has a diadem. I don't know if you can see, but Gina is wearing a, 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 a pendant and in it are two stars stamped out. And that star was made into two other necklaces, each of the stars, one for Miriam and one for Ruth. Thank you. And if you can see, the passage of scripture is Isaiah 41.10. It is the exact same passage of scripture that God had placed on one of the rockiest days I'd experienced last year, the day of their accident and the day that Gina met with them. This passage says to us, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He is faithful. His righteous right hand means he simply means he's always doing what's right. Brothers and sisters, in closing, what's right is sometimes really hard. Jesus endured the cross. Good, write this down, good seldom feels good. And love seldom feels lovely. But oh, I can tell you today, and by the grace of God, I'll be able to tell you tomorrow, that though the blows of life are great, his grace is greater. I don't always understand it. I really don't. I can't make sense of all of this, but there is one who has made sense of it. The most famous passage in all the Bible about love is 1 Corinthians 13. And in it, it says, that though we see through a glass darkly, we don't see clearly, we don't quite get it, we don't understand the big picture, we can't make sense of it. We know only in part. Uh, I have a vague idea, but there's so many things that God's doing. But there's much that I yet to understand. Brothers and sisters, go to Jesus. Our blood fails. His does not. Source your strength 
in this weak and weary world, and Christ the Savior. Do not fear, for he is with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He is good. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. Father, would you be revealed? Unveil whatever it is that is obstructing our vision. Would your spirit move on your people today, oh God? Would your Holy Spirit overwhelm our own spirit, the spirit of our minds? For there are many spirits, many things many attitudes, many dispositions that want to take our thoughts where they ought not go. Oh, Father, and you know this. You see that we are frail. You see that we stumble. You see that even like Peter, we sink in the waves when we take our eyes off of you. The storms of life overwhelm us. You are our lighthouse. Help us to see your light. Renew our minds, O oh God. Would your spirit overwhelm our minds that they may be life and peace. Would you bring hush and calm to our storms, O oh God. If you are struggling with sin, we need not make eyes with our neighbor. We need not make eyes even with me. But look to the Savior. I have failed so many times. I have let so many people down. Jesus, but you have never failed. And you lift us up. Thank you, God. May your love be understood and realized by brothers and sisters. May your love be seen and known more fully today, God. Help us with your righteous right hand. May our hearts be fully committed to you, for you strengthen such hearts that we might live guarded with the breastplate of righteousness and serve you. Strengthen us, O oh God, that we may seek your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Would you break the chains, Lord? We lay our sins and our failures down at your feet. Strengthen us, God, to do your work. And would you receive the glory and the power and the praise and all the credit. For in you we live and move and have our being. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live-streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG Littlestown, Pennsylvania.